Hey everyone, before we get to today's content, I wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast from the 11FS Podcast Network, the FinTech Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. Over the last couple months, I've been speaking to heads of marketing from the world's leading FinTech and financial service brands, Monzo, Revolut, MasterCard, Zero, Starling, Lemonade, and many more. We heard their insights and ideas on how they build brand and drive growth for their businesses, and now we can bring them to you. So if you're into FinTech, FS, marketing, which I assume you are, uh, please check out our brand new podcast. Search for FinTech Marketing Podcast on any podcast platform. Subscribe, share, leave us a review, and please do let us know your thoughts. Appreciate the support. This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 64 of InsureTech Insider. I hope everyone is staying safe out there. Um, We are still, of course, working from home, so we are recording remotely once again. One upside of that is that we can have guests along from all over the world. So um, on that note, to get in touch by sending us an email to podcasts at 11fs.com if you know someone who would be great for this show. So today we're bringing you an episode that many of you will have been anticipating for a while, and that's how the COVID-19 situation is affecting the insurance industry and how insurtechs and insurers can help their customers navigate through these times. I am joined today by my co-host, Nigel Walsh. How are you doing, Nigel? I'm fantastic, thank you. I'm having a blast in lockdown. I was going to ask you how you're coping, but that question feels a little bit irrelevant now. I'm coping just fine. Actually, it's Easter holidays for the kids as well, so it's a little bit different. And I will admit I've been out playing football for about five minutes with my son beforehand. So I'm out of breath. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully by the end of this, you'll, uh, you'll, have, you'll have solved that problem playing more football. All right. So today we are also joined by three amazing guests. So first up, we have Christian Veens, CEO and co-founder of GetSafe. How are you today, Christian? Also fantastic. I think I'm probably the only guy at the office today with a huge office just for myself. That's pretty relaxing. And whereabouts are you? We're based in Heidelberg, which is close to Frankfurt in Germany. Exciting. So can you tell us, or I suppose remind us about GetSafe? I know we've had you on the show, but can you just give us a quick overview? Sure. So we are building an insurance brand, but a company for the generation of uninsured people. So people that still have to buy insurance. And usually we refer to the millennial generation, people between 20 and 35, but even the younger younger folks in, in generation to come. And we built this insurance company mobile only, means you can only use our insurance through our smartphone app. And we try to help people that never bought insurance before to understand insurance, but most of all like insurance and and built a different relationship to this product and industry that, let's say, our parents did. And we're active in Germany and recently launched in the UK, have uh, more than 100,000 members and yeah, our team of 80 people based here in Heidelberg. Brilliant. Thank you. Next up, we have Jay Bregman, founder and CEO of Thimble. How are you today, Jay? And indeed, where in the world are you? Great. So I'm here in downtown New York City. So Thimble is a, a New York City-based insure tech. We're the first and only company to offer business insurance truly on demand, which means we sell it by the hour, by the day, or month to month. 
by mobile, and it usually takes less than a minute and less than one question to qualify. About 75% of our customers never had business insurance before. And based on what's been going on in the market with the massive uncertainty, particularly experienced by small businesses, the product has never been more urgent and some of our products have just been flying off the shelves. Brilliant. That's great to hear. And last, by no means least, we have Lance Poole, CEO of Juniper Labs, also joining us today. How are you, Lance? Where are you? And what is Juniper Labs? Yeah, thanks so much, Sarah. I'm calling in from sunny Denver, Colorado. And Juniper Labs, we help make the small business segment more profitable for commercial insurers, insurtechs, and brokers. So we use a combination of open data and machine learning to build data products and automated underwriting tech. So for example, if you're an insurtech and you're looking to enter a new market, we can either help with the customer experience challenges like pre-fill or even more strategic problems like understanding where the openings might be from a product and pricing perspective. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining me today. Let's get on with the show. So let's start with a big question here. How badly are insurers struggling right now? And that can be across the board. So financially, you know, in terms of actually handling claims that are coming in, maybe emotionally, you know, maybe there's there's an emotional element to this. Who wants to go first on this? I can give our US experience on this. I think our experience is actually they're proving in a better shape than most of the other companies that are out there. You know, so yes, some of them are in crisis mode due to the fact that they've been selling business owners policies with business interruption and now have a vast amount of claims from people who are just finding out that page 33 of their policy has an exclusion for this. So I think it will be will be hard times ahead and exposure bases are falling for most products, uh, meaning that basically somebody who needed a 3,000 square foot office or was doing $100,000 of payroll last year is only doing 50 or 25 now or doesn't know. So uh, yeah, so I, I think it is a very interesting time to be in the market, but I think insurance is this kind of fundamental product that it's going to be here no matter what. And it's just a question of how it evolves over the next couple of months to meet the new type of social behavior that people are going to have when they exit all these lockdowns. I don't know if it's just European, I think it's probably global, but the young consumers perspective. So usually talking about consumers, we always look at the Maslow pyramid, as you all know it, and safety definitely is one of the important pillars there, just above physical or mental health. And we kind of feel this because we feel not for every product category, but in, in the consumer space, the demand for protection against anything is, is, is rather increasing. At least the protection becomes top of mind for people, not just because they're sitting at home and probably have more time, spend more time with their families, which of course brings all these topics top of mind, but really because of, of the logic of this pyramid. And of course, I don't have experience from decades of being an insurance, but, but usually I see that if you're not directly affected, as Jay said, by a specific type of insurance that now needs to pay out a lot of claims, specific to the problems that are occurring for businesses mainly. I think it's a great situation that you can leverage if, and I think that is true for all the folks on the podcast today, if you have a digital infrastructure and are able to keep business up and going while, let's say, the traditional insurance infrastructure as we know it with agent and broker offices, with huge admin and operation offices from insurance companies, that are super paper-based. And so that is really putting them, I, I talked to many uh, exec board members here in the last weeks of, of traditional insurers, that is really putting them into a more problematic situation because they can't handle home office, 
distribution offline is really difficult. So I think what you need to bring to the table is being fully digital. And then you can, in, in many aspects, at least in the consumer space, you can really leverage the situation. At least we had, March was our best month we ever had. Not just because of insurance, but insurance at least wasn't a downturn. Uh, corona, sorry. Yeah, I'll just add, I've heard from you know, a couple of executives at, at carriers that they're actually seeing more productivity from their team. So I was talking to an underwriting leader who said that yeah, his team is is being more productive from home. So I think that's going to be interesting to see what happens. As Jay was mentioning, there's going to be expense pressure as premiums have, have gone down. You know, So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this in terms of how much remote work happens at some of these insurance companies. I think Christian was alluding to this, but there is a, a potential change that we're going to see in the macro environment, the way that people perceive risk. So, I mean, if you look at back to a lot of the great U.S. insurance companies, so USAA founded 1922 on the eve of the Great Depression, uh, Progressive and Geico founded 1936, 1937, right before World War II. They, they happen to be clustered around these large cataclysmic events because they redefine what, what risk is. The worst that can happen suddenly happens, and people think of insurance in a different way. And we think this, in the long term, has that potential to be just as seismic. Uh, just on these points, and the, the opening comments are interesting in that I've also heard from another insurtech today, they've had their best month ever, but they're not really in the BI space, they're more on the consumer side, so, so I'm okay with that. I, I've been tracking the companies worldwide over the last couple of weeks and how they've reacted. Some of the guys you mentioned in North America, I actually think they've led the way in terms of supporting consumers who are in financial difficulty whether it's a rebate or automatic rebate. I mean, one of the guys was going to print 1.6 million checks and mail them out to customers. But I think if you break it down a little bit further, you could say operationally, and I think, Christian, you talked about if you've got a digital infrastructure, you'll be okay. I wonder what your perspective is from a reputation perspective. Because I know, Jay, you mentioned, you know, you get to page 36 of your, of your document and you go, hey, pandemic's not covered or non-notifiable disease is not covered or whatever it might be which a lot of happened post-SARS. So what, what's your view from a reputation perspective here? So, so look, first of all, all of the givebacks that are happening in the United States, particularly amongst auto companies, they're, you know, they're not entirely selfless. They are because there has been intense regulatory action and notices being given by almost every major state department of insurance that regulates the market quite carefully, basically forcing people to give some form of refund or rebate. And when you think about the fact that some people have refunded 25% of April's premium, if you're not driving at all, actually, that's not a great deal for the person, right? So, so what, what you really want is like the ability to pause your policy or some things that, that really don't exist yet, uh, you know, in the marketplace, some of the things that we're trying to bring to, uh, to the market. So the regulator has said they have to rebate something because we've not seen that anywhere else. So California DOI just put out a notice very recently in the last day or so saying that exposure basis had to be reviewed on all policies in the list of general liability, personal auto, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in light of what was going on. Uh, and they wanted a report of basically, uh, you know, of, of how insurers would comply with the directive. There have also been, been many directives. The, the immediate thing that went out was non-payment. So traditionally, you can, after a couple months of not payment, cancel policy for a customer. That's been suspended in most large states now. Uh, so, so, so anyway, the, the market clearly is changing, but it's changing not so much because of the goodwill of the customers, but because it's got such an effective and ensconced regulatory scheme down to the local state level. I think that's a very important point because the regulators in the US possibly to a certain extent have more teeth and more power to play with here. So the UK regulators come out today and said, we're not 
going to do anything. Like we're not going to force anybody's hand. We are telling you that, you know, if somebody has a valid claim, you have to pay out as quickly as possible. And if they do not have a valid claim, you have to be clear and quickly respond to them and tell them why, you know, this claim is not valid. But they have said very explicitly, we will not force anybody's hand. And and I'm correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Christian, but I think the EU regulators have taken a sort of similar tack. They're not they're not forcing anything. They're just reiterating the, the, the principles, which is rather the way that a lot of European regulation works. It's principles based that you must treat the customer fairly. But beyond that, we're not going to take any greater steps unless I've missed something. No, that's correct. That's totally correct. And it really depends on which product vertically active and there's, as I mentioned, there's definitely some verticals on the business or commercial space that are way more affected than in the consumer space. You have the motor uh, problematic, of course, or if it is a problematic at all of, of people not driving around so much. But I see a broader problem looking at insurance companies that are active in mass markets also on general uh, reputation, as Nigel said, or customer satisfaction, because, of course, if like, you're not able to work in a home office setup and can't be that quick and can't be good at handling claims, of course, people are at home. I mean, you have a lot of claims around billing and, and renter's insurance that still can happen these days, perhaps even more, or accident insurance, for example. And so all these kind of stuff uh, and medical, of course, I mean, health insurance is a totally different question as well. And of course, People, you, I think you can lose reputation also in areas that are not directly kind of affected by the, by the pandemic, but indirectly affected because your service level really is decreasing. You become slower. You can't kind of file the claims or handle the claims so quickly or sell insurance in a proper way if people have time and demand and so on. I think that's on the other side. It's more abstract, but that's definitely the bigger bucket of customers that are kind of may be experiencing um, that. But but again, that's that's more for the traditional insurers relying on traditional infrastructures. They could kind of come out of this pandemic weaker than before and digital players or direct insurers can, can come out of this stronger. I've, I've got a conspiracy theory of sorts here. So to your point, Jay, it's not really a conspiracy theory, but, but to, to your points of sorts, so people like uh, is it my way or one of the guys in South Africa will do the pause my policy straight away? The UK on motor has been very absent of what you can do. I think one of the big carriers came out and said, we'll pause by 90 days. To your point, Sarah, regulators in Singapore have done the same thing on life insurance. But is there a theory that says they've got ahead of the curve, they've got ahead of the regulator because they know it's going to be a horrible situation when it comes to BI? So let's get out there and do what we can in the right way, which I truly applaud on things we can impact where risk has uh, diminished or gone away at the short period of time. But when it comes to a BI claim, where there's going to be a mass non-payer, because of page 36 to your point, do you think they're just getting ahead of the curve here or something else? Do you mean they're, they're putting sops to people? Do you mean kind of like it's not actually sort of their hearts aren't in it? This is just kind of like, well, this is a sop to make you feel better and try and protect our reputation? I'd go a little bit warmer than that, but kind of, yeah. I mean, are they yeah. doing the right thing? Because ultimately, as you say, the risk well, is down. So, 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 yeah, so, so look, I mean, I think that clearly they're not doing enough, meaning that basically the reason that, that they would lower prices or that they would pause or anything is not just to appease the regulators. It's because these guys are selling annual policies. And annual policies basically are a commitment for the year, no matter what happens. So somebody signed up, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, they had $200,000 of payroll. Now their business has gone down to zero. They're still paying the same rate as if they were doing $200,000 of payroll every month. 
just because they get a 25% discount or 90-day payment doesn't change that. What really they should be doing is canceling their policy, getting a new policy based on their new payroll and new exposure bases, and paying a lot less for that. And that's what they're deathly afraid, I think, a lot of these companies uh, that people will do. It's actually ironic because this is what our business was founded on, which was you only buy the time that you need. And so you never actually have to worry about this. Our cancellation rate is, is an order of magnitude less than we see in the market right now because people are only buying what they need in the first place. So there's no need to cancel. But it's a very different mentality than we've got these year-long contracts. We've got to keep people on the contracts kind of, you know, by, by any means necessary because it's so expensive to acquire them back. Lance, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I was just going to say, I agree with Jay that, you know, we're not seeing enough. I, I for instance, I'm getting my refund on my auto policy and it's $30. <laughs> um, you know, my, my, take, my takeout for my family last night was $70. Um, what did so you mean? I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so you, we certainly should see more. I, I think we will see more from carriers. I know there's also attorneys lining up on both sides too looking to bill lots and lots of hours over the next few months too. So I, I think that's something, you know, we'll see people getting ready for a bit of a legal battle here in the States or over BI. There's legal battles happening in the UK as well. So we don't see, it's, un, it's unusual for us to see, I guess, class action suits over here, but there, there are small businesses are already, there's already kind of two or three that are that are rumbling. So it's, it's not just the US. It's in fact, you know, as yeah. I said, it's quite unusual behavior in this part <laughs> of the world. But yeah, the, um, the insurers are very much braced for impact. Well, it goes back to the global nature of the insurance market. The first two in North America were actually on Lloyd's paper. Right. So, so, so it actually goes back to the global nature of insurance, which was one of my other questions was, uh, and maybe we'll jump into it a little bit later, as insurtechs, we've all been talking about digital infrastructure, agility, speed, good months. But do you, as an organization, have the same backup on it from a balance sheet that you do if you're one of the giants in the US that has, you know, multi, multi-billion dollars and are well capitalized? So can you weather the storm as long as you need to if this goes on for three or six or nine months? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, remember, the, the balance sheets of those companies are only as strong as, you know, the, the, the pressures on them to pay out of their surplus. So, you know, one, one simple event for most of those companies, like a, a big state like New York or New Jersey, you know, saying that they have to pay these business interruption policies, uh, in, you know, endorsement uh, that, that excluded the virus or, or no endorsement is a significant, you know, event um, to, to a company of, of that scale. So, you know, I think w- what the smaller companies don't face is they don't face those sort of pressures. And a lot of them, like us, are very, very lean and mean, totally automated. So basically, there just isn't a lot of infrastructure to keep them. So even a, you know, a 10 or $20 million of capital can sustain us a lot longer than potentially uh, the, the larger companies. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. And this might be contentious because, and actually it's, it's aimed at you and Lance and Jay, what do you make about the political input into this one, which is quite a contentious one, I think, given that the comments that came out of the government recently were along the lines of, you've been paying for cover for years, and just because it doesn't say it, they should still pay you out. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to jump in on that. So I'm a former actuary, and I can say that no one gets reelected by touting actuarial soundness or pricing assumptions. It's not <laughs> something that happens with politicians. You get reelected by getting money to people. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on insurers from politicians to pay out claims. Um, but to Jay's point earlier, if you force too much, you're going to put pressure on the soundness of some of these carriers, and they're going to push back and say, hey, if you're going to force me to pay out all these business interruption claims, then I'm going to need money from you, the government, um, to be sustainable. I mean, I think the most interesting thing is right now you can argue 
that the products that should have been on the market at the right price were not on the market, meaning it was virtually impossible for an SMB in America to buy contingent business interruption coverage that basically did not exclude a virus or pandemic. Well, that's crazy because look at the big risk that just happened. So we think what the opportunity is in the next couple of months is someone, maybe us, will come up with the ability to price that policy correctly, to sell it correctly, you know, and then basically we'll we'll be able to uh, to give the market what it really needs while everybody deals with, you know, the history and the legacy uh, of not including that up to date. Okay, well, we are going to take a quick ad break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about kind of what happens next. Just before we continue, are you switching up your morning routine? Now we're all social distancing. So are we. In fact, we've started two daily breakfast shows to help you kickstart your day on both sides of the Atlantic. On the FinTech Insider Breakfast Show, we chat about the latest news with a series of industry guests all dialing in remotely. It goes live on LinkedIn every morning at 8.30 a.m. BST. Just follow David Breer on LinkedIn. And if you're US-based and 8.30 BST is just a little bit too early, do not worry. We haven't forgotten you. We also have a US option. Fintech Insider Breakfast Show US is hosted by Sam Moore. We'll be going live at 10.30 ET, so grab a coffee and join in. For the US show, just follow 11 colon FS on LinkedIn to get the daily notification. And for both shows, don't forget to add your comments in the thread. We love hearing from you, where you're tuning in from, and we'll try and answer as many questions as we can on each show. All right. Back to the show. So um, I'd like to, to sort of dig into, you know, we talked about what's already happened and, and some of the, you know, behaviors that we've seen and actions we've seen. And I think we're kind of all in agreement that the, the digital only players or the digital first players are better positioned here. There's a couple of things I'd like to dig into, you know, all of that aside, there, there are some types of insurance. It's actually quite hard to get hold of now. So for example, travel insurers have stopped selling policies. Others have explicitly changed their terms and conditions to exclude COVID-19 related claims. I mean, there are still people who are going to need travel insurance because they have to travel. So what do we do about this? What do we do about the fact that we, we're kind of with insurers behaving the way they are, we actually end up with cover that is no longer available? Um, you know, what do we do about that gap in the market? I think what the U.S. did with it with a very analogous risk that no one would cover is terrorism. So the TRIA basically is, is the, the act that, that backstops the insurance industry for claims relating to terrorism, allowing it to be included and indeed forcing it to be included on most policies. But yet the government has a pool to be able to, to backstop the insurance industry. It seems like that may be the right solution here, too, where the government backstops the insurance industry for COVID-19 to prevent people from having to strip it out of every policy or just not provide coverage at all because they're too afraid that they can't even strip it out. Uh, I think that that's one option anyway. Yeah, I was going to say another option I think we'll see more of is creating captives. So as as business groups, professional groups come together and want coverage, if it's not there in the market, if to Jay's point, if it hasn't been created or backstopped by the government, one option is to create a captive and go find some uh, source of risk capital um, and have the risk covered. So for our for our listeners who are less au fait with insurance terminology, what is a captive? Yeah, so, so a captive is a, is a legal entity that provides for regulatory cover for the insurance risk. Brilliant, thank you. So like Lyft and Uber both have captives to manage the risk of their right. drivers uh, and the claims related to the, their services. Right, thank you for that. Um, Christian, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, my, my comment perhaps is a bit more general, and it may also depend on where we are living, right? So I think that all countries, from PR to politics to healthcare system and all things that are happening are dealing differently with a, with a pandemic, with different outcomes. We have a neighbor country, Italy, that nobody understands really why 
hasn't managed this pandemic in a good way and probably was very unlucky. Like the Scandinavian countries like Sweden, Denmark are <laughs> almost run like they did before. And and to be honest, also in Germany, we don't feel affected. The healthcare system is super stable. We don't have an unusual number of, of deaths or so. So it's 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 also kind of a little bit what you make out of it and probably how impressed you are by the current, let's say, landscape that you're seeing around yourself. And for me, like my credo is, or our credo also at Gesafe is that this pandemic isn't significantly changing anything. It's it's not the first that we have in the world, won't be the last. Of course, there will be some changes and policies to cover risks that weren't covered before, some specifications, but that's, I think, something, uh, as also Jay said, regarding terrorism and what happened in the US many years ago. I think that's things that happen anyway. It's a normal process. And also all the lockdowns, won't won't last forever and and businesses and consumers will live their life as they did before let's say, let's see what happens with travel and fares and all this kind of stuff that perhaps is 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 not is not essential but but generally we we have the we have the and that may maybe because we are in germany currently and don't feel feel it as as dramatic as it really is uh, affecting other countries and so probably you, you share this assumption a little bit more that business will go back to you to usual uh, as usual and then there will be some adoptions and and that's pretty much it right no significant changes of the industry in our perspective that's really really interesting um nigel did you want to say something yeah i was just gonna say can i ask therefore to all three of you do we believe this to be an insurance issue that insurance should be solving or as we've seen in every country a government issue and the backdrop to that is, as you can imagine, the conversations we're having with clients globally, if you look at the World Economic Report, Global Risks Report for this year, this was the third most least likely event to take place, only ahead of uh, unimaginable inflation and weapons of mass destruction. And there are loads of other things ahead of this that will take place that haven't materialised, thank God. Um, so the question is, do we get to a point at which it doesn't really make a difference what it is because the government will step in in every single instance or is it an insurance thing to go solve? Well, you know, we're, we're here in the epicenter of the epicenter and it, it certainly feels a lot different uh, than the way Christian's talking about it. We, we think a lot about how insurance can help people get back to work because our customers are starving. They really are. They're every type of small business from cleaners and janitors to consultants to event planners to hairdressers. And the common thread is, in pretty much all of the states in which we operate, they're all out of business. Um, and they were never prepared to be out of business for more than uh, a week, let alone a month, let alone two months, three months, et cetera. So we think a lot about how insurance can help people get back to work. And we think about what, what is the process for bringing people back to work. I mean, here in New York, it is total lockdown. This is just like 28 days later, right? Anything that you want to compare it to, it's it's pretty much exactly like it, except for the, the, the zombies. Um, so... You know, so, so when we think about how we come out of this cave and, and how things get better, they will not, for sure, just let people go back to the way it was. That won't happen for years. And it certainly won't happen until the risk of, of infection um, spreading is much lower. And from our perspective, the risk of infection is just directly related to how infectious the disease is in the first place. So, you know, if, if it's, uh, you know... Uh, if it turns out to be about as infectious as the Spanish flu, that means that 25 to 30% of the population need to get it in order for it to stop spreading. 0.1% have tested for it in New York right now. That's a huge 250x increase 
Uh, so what's going to happen in the meantime? Who's going to be allowed to work? Who should be allowed to work? Uh, you know, and how do employers manage the risk of different people coming in? How do they how do they take workers back knowing that they're not going to put those workers unknowingly in danger, put their customers in danger? Nobody knows what's going on. The federal government and the state governments are, are fighting. I think this is really a job for insurance to help figure this out if we can get our act together uh, and figure out how to move the risk around. I 100% agree. I think that, you you know, I don't think that this is a government issue. I think that the insurance industry is there to supposed to protect things like this. That is its purpose, its primary purpose. Um, and yeah, it will need to adapt. Um, and arguably, you know, those stats you read out, Nigel, but um, I think it was two years ago, a uh, pandemic was um, a global survey of insurers. It was their, their, their highest priority. Like they, that's what they were most worried about. And so, you know, the insurers arguably should have should have acted quicker than they have. You know, you, you saw that Marsh had its infectious disease cover since 2018, but nobody bought it because it was too expensive. Uh-huh. I was just about to say, it exists, right? <laughs> it does exist. Um, but I think in terms of kind of like where we go next, I, I think it's really interesting to hear, to hear Christian's perspective. I think to go back to a point that Lance made earlier, do we think that maybe for this evolution of insurance to happen and for changes in insurance to happen, it's kind of part of a broader piece. So yes, one thing that comes out of it is that we have products that are more fit for purpose, that do suit modern day life. And that could be climate change events. It could be pandemics. Actually, pandemics are linked to climate change. Um, but to be, the way that we get there is that we go, we look at digital only infrastructure, we strip out excess costs, we look at culture in companies. So is that the change we might see? It kind of combines both of your points there. I think, Kristen, you know, saying back to business as usual, but actually, do you think that bigger insurers will kind of see this as a wake up call and think about the way that they operate, you know, how they how they underwrite policies, what kind of policies they underwrite, how they operate as businesses? Sure. I mean, I think what I was saying is I I think it will impact aspects of the insurance world but there's still all the rest of life right and and businesses and stuff that will go on as normal of course there's a, a small portion of things that that will change and we need to adopt to them but still we shouldn't forget uh, not be opportunistic uh, i say that to all entrepreneurs because i believe that others don't do that and do it differently and that may also be right but be opportunistic by changing like the fundamentals of, of 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 products that we build just around this current scenario too much and kind of forgetting about I'm from a family of doctors, forgetting about all the other cases that still come to hospitals, all these kind of normal stuff that, that is still the big majority of of costs and things that are happening and disability insurance that let's say as one example was always has always been a, a big problem and perhaps like such a pandemic can also help to start thinking more, more about solutions that what happens if you can't work anymore for any reason, if it's external or like a more more for health reasons or so. But generally speaking, as I mentioned, the Maslow pyramid brings this whole topic, thinking of it about it top of mind to people and businesses. And that's generally a good thing. Uh, and to the insurance companies too. So, um, but but I don't just don't suggest to kind of focus all of our thoughts and work if you're not like totally like I, I think that Jay, I think we are in, in very different businesses. You're protecting kind of freelancers and, and small businesses. We're protecting I'm protecting singles and families and couples that are between 25 and 30 on average. That's very different place. I think that's why we have also different situations here and different perspectives. But generally speaking I think that also businesses and freelancers still have a lot of other 
normal, usual problems that we still have to work on and create innovations and not just um, focus on, on the consequences of this pandemic. That's what I'm saying and probably you're all on the, on the same line and page on this. Mm. Yes, I think that's very important. If you're a health insurer, then it's actually very short-sighted to focus on kind of excluding uh, COVID-related claims, for example, when so many health services are under such pressure that, you know, people who would who are going into hospital for other conditions that would normally be able to to be treated, you know, um, are, or, you know, life insurance the same, then they are losing out because of everything else, the pressure that's been piling on because of the COVID focus. Um, Lance, did you want to, to answer the initial question about whether this is kind of a, 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 it's, a it's a sit up and take notice point for the insurance industry? It kind of gives them, uh, you know, a kick up the bum to think actually this is where you you should be focusing on appropriate products and the way that you get there is digitalization and and you know maybe changing culture and ways of working. Y- yes, I completely agree that it is. You know, there's going to be huge behavior shifts in all areas of life as a result of this, and and, and happening very fast. Normally, behavior changes slowly over. Over time, but as a result of this behavior, consumer desire is going to be changing very quickly. Um, and as Jay's made the point a couple times, insurtechs are able to react really quickly, um, adapt, come to market with new products, um, and traditional carriers will need to do the same things to digitize the process. Um, if I were to ask you, do you think more or less people want to purchase their insurance online? Um, you know, today yeah. versus a month from ago, it's certainly a lot higher today. Um, so, you know, a lot of things are going to be needed uh, they, to move digital um, because of what's happened. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of, you're forced to buy insurance digitally because there's no other way to do it if you're in the US yeah, or Europe right, or the right. UK. Uh, Nigel, did you want to jump in there? Right. The point about digital versus physical is interesting as well. We've seen in Ireland and South Africa where many, and the US actually, where many people still pay their premium by cash is a really interesting one because if you go along monthly to pay your installment or whatever else by cash because you're not used to doing it uh, online, how do you therefore make this thing work? And I guess to your point earlier, um, Jay, where they've removed the cancellation and non-payment piece, you can get by that in the short term. But I think uh, does this therefore then close the gap between some of the traditional providers that are going, oh, hell, we need a, we need a digital solution. And the folks like yourselves who are agile, quick, have it all online today already. So look, I, I think there's going to be a complete reset of business insurance in the United States. And that not even going to be. There is right now. We're, we're seeing it right now because there's a complete reset of business. And that means people are going to be looking for insurance and they're, they're, they're not going to be saying, oh, yeah, my, my, I'm going to a broker and saying, oh, yeah, my, my payroll last year, was, it was 50 grand. It's going to be 150 grand this year. And here's all my details for what's going to happen in the next 12 months. They're going to say, I have no idea if I even need a policy in a month. What do you got for me? And that's where something like us, uh, I think, comes in. Yeah, fair point. I was thinking, is the same true in Germany, do you think? Do, do people, was the use of cash quite significant before? And is that going to change? Or even the role of the broker, does the role of the broker now change? Or the agent? It all comes to the question how long the lockdown is taking, right? Because I think that behavior is changing. The longer we we could get used to a certain situation in different areas of life, the more likely it is to really change for the long term. I expect that, like after summer, everything will really return to normality. And and I don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if if the corona pandemic is really the reason why brokerage or selling insurance offline or paying premiums and installments in, in cash. I, to be honest, I don't know about that procedures in, in Germany. Probably that it may exist. I, I just don't know. Um, I think that's not 
significantly changing because of Corona, right? It, it, it may be an acceleration. It may be because big, big incumbents also are working or accelerating working on digital solutions and brokers finally uh, jump on Skype calls to make consultations way more than before. But I think as soon as people feel safe and they can have personal, and I'm saying that as a direct-to-consumer digital player, right? But have personal relationships face-to-face again, the folks and, and customers that want to have that will have that again, right? And, and they will enjoy the freedom of being able to have in-person relationships and conversations, perhaps not shaking hands anymore, but uh, in Asian countries or so, I think they, they have been way advanced on these kind of things anyway and being cautious in, in terms of hygiene and so. So I think that, that that's my personal view, right? Um, I think the broker... I always say the broker will die in the next 20 years, but not because of this pandemic, because on average, brokers are old, they're male, uh, they're not used to, <laughs> that's definitely a reason, <laughs> uh, they're not used to, to, to work with digital solutions, they don't have the mindset to adopt to a, a new world, that's why brokerage it's dying not in the consumer space right not not business i said the exact same thing on a fintech podcast last week uh when i was talking about digital banking uh, usage increasing and i was like coronavirus will have a small impact but raise basically what you're waiting for is all the people who don't currently use digital banking to die and then the figures will go up um not necessarily the most empathetic thing, but we need to wrap up. So I have one final question for Jay, for Lance and for Christian. Um, and that is what are all three of you or all the businesses uh, you, you work for? What are you doing for your, for your clients, for your customers? You know, are you doing anything out of the ordinary um, to help them, help them deal with, you know, their own set of circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I can I can go first. So one is we're listening to them. So we're talking to as many of them as they can about what their experience uh, is. We're connecting them to federal and state resources for funding and other support if we can. But what we're really trying to do is to provide them opportunities to basically make our policies even more flexible than they are right now, particularly the ones that are that are month to month, and also creating new products that will help them get back to work. Uh, so we're, we're very, very interested in the idea that insurance can help with small businesses, particularly those in the service businesses that need to enter people's homes, et cetera, getting back to work. And we think we have some creative, clever ways that we're working on that may help with that process. Lance, did you want to go next? Yeah, sure. So for us, we work mostly with commercial carriers and insure techs. And, and so we're helping them rethink assumptions. Um, so a lot of the models that carriers have built were built on, you know, 20% growth every year, you know, from 09 to, to, to today. And so a lot of things have to be rethought. So we're shifting some of our work into, you know, how does a workers comp carrier rethink their premium audit model, for instance, um, or how does an insure tech enter a new market? So we're actually doing a lot of things more opportunistically um, with some of the carriers and insure techs we're working with. And Christian, how about you? Yeah, I think we, we can be less supportive or less on a, on a mission that the, the J probably is. But because, again, the consumers and the products like home, renters, bike, uh, dental, the kind of stuff we offer and cover is not really directly affected. We try to keep up the level of service that we had before, so be really fast. And so people shouldn't experience any changes when they have to file a claim or buy an insurance. And the other thing is what we do is we see opportunities. So we're seeing opportunity both in 
grabbing more market share at the moment, while let's say incumbents can't play their game as strongly anymore, which at the end of the day means uh, yeah, creating the supply that they can provide. And the other, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's pretty much it, to be honest, right? We also think about other products, but that's not really related to, to the, the, the current uh, pandemic. Brilliant. Uh, thank you. Nigel, any brief closing thoughts? Uh, no, I think it's um, a really interesting time and I genuinely... I'm excited by the global reaction from the from the big insurers. I'm excited to see how insurtechs can rise from this. Um, but I don't think we've seen the back of it just yet. And I worry about reputation as we start the conversation on and how that's going to pan out over the next couple of months and years. I think, yes, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens next. Um, I think, you know, from a financial point of view, from an economic point of view, and I think we are, you know, uh, one of the things that everyone keeps using that word, that bloody word, unprecedented, um, you know, use use the data you're gathering now, people, see what, you know, has happened, see what you can do to, to better equip you to, to deal with anything like this again in the future, um, whatever that might be, whether it's business interruption, underwriting, or even just ways of working. Um, it was excellent to have guests from such a variety of places today. I really enjoyed that it was a global show. I also enjoyed that we had some some upbeats and quite positive takes on this, which is which is really nice to hear in the current circumstances. Um, and that wraps up today's discussion. So thank you so much to my guests and to Nigel, of course. Christian, where can our listeners find out more about you? Do you have a Twitter handle or a website you'd like to share? LinkedIn is my, my choice. It's Christian Veens, Y-I-E-N-S on LinkedIn. And um, I use that a lot. So that's a great platform for me. And GetSafe? Uh, the website is hellogetsafe.com. Perfect. Lance, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Lance Pool and on LinkedIn. And then our website is juniperlabs.io. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Nigel, how about you? I'm on Twitter at Nigel Walsh and on LinkedIn as well. And currently writing lots about COVID and the future of insurance, which is uh, some interesting comments on that. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky, and you can find my musings on the current situation on our homepage, which is 11fs.com. We have a special uh, COVID page set up there, so you can find all our content in one place. Um, as always, you can find the show itself on Twitter at Instech Insiders or our 11FS LinkedIn page that is 11FS. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on Spotify and any other podcast provider you choose. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter for more news and content. That's 11FS.com forward slash newsletter. We'll be back soon. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>